we want to arm ourselves with this mind of Christ, we begin with humility. God, I am broken and not enough. But then after that, we have to turn to Christ and say, Jesus, I actually need you here to help me. And you want to know the voice of the Holy Spirit? We were talking about that last week. How do I know what the Holy Spirit sounds like? Well, most of the time, the Holy Spirit sounds like my wife. Real practically, somebody I know and I love and I trust speaking wisdom into my life. That when the things I'm doing in my brokenness are harmful and not good, when it's my attitude that's the problem, not everybody else's, her calm and gentle, loving voice, Adam, stop it. Like, don't you see what you're doing? So often helps me to see what God is saying. If we want to have the mind of Christ, we need to be humble, but then we need to be surrounded by people who are willing to speak into those painful things. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out And God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Adam, and I have the joy of being the pastor here at The Point. For the last several weeks, we've been in this series called Rooted, where we're diving into scriptural uh, truths, biblical truths about how we grow spiritually. And in the first week, we discussed the reality that every one of us is on a journey, and not a single one of us is finished. There's movement in faith that brings us from where we are to where God's taking us. And if we're not seeing that movement, if we're not pursuing that movement, we're missing out on the fullness of life that God has in store. We talked then about the reality that growth happens only when we're connected to the body. See, a lot of people want to be Christian without the church. And there's a good reason for that. The church sometimes is really, really ugly and terrible, and sometimes it's much easier to say, I just want this on my own, but not with others. But the way God designed you and me is that we need each other. We need a community who can hold us accountable, who can love us, who can support us, who can encourage us. We need people around us so that we grow. Not only do we need the body of Christ, we, in order to grow, need a right understanding of who God the Father is. He's not an angry judge waiting to catch you in your failure. He's not a mean dad waiting to show you how much you suck. No, our God is a good and gracious and loving father who's eager to bring hope and healing to all those places that are hurting. He's not waiting for you to fail. He's giving you abundant grace, saying you are mine, be loved. You are mine, be forgiven, it'll be okay. And with this right view of who the Father is as a grace-giving, loving one who cares for you and I, we're enabled in this journey to grow 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God is not leaving you and me to figure it out. He's not saying, I have something great for you, but it's this mystery you have to discover through working really hard and getting it right. No, he's saying, I'm here for you, and I will help you, and I will teach you, and I will comfort you, and I will lead you in this journey. Follow me. Follow me, and it'll be okay. And now to this week, we get to a part of growth that most of us try to avoid. Part of growth, part of discovering who God made you to be includes pain. But most of us don't like pain. See, when we think about pain, what typically comes to mind is really bad pain. And there's a lot of bad pain out there. But there's also some good pain out there. It's all a matter of situation. Consider this, if you left here and on your way to your car, in a well-lit, bright outside space, a man came up to you and sought your money and he was wearing a mask and he wanted your money and he demanded your money and when you weren't giving it to, to him, he stabbed you with a knife and left you bleeding and partially unconscious for a while. We would call that bad pain, right? That man we'd call a mugger. Somebody who's not doing something very good, he's causing pain for the wrong reasons. But let's say you left here and tomorrow morning you went into a brightly lit hospital room and there a man in a mask who wanted your money decided to take a knife and cut you open and leave you bleeding and partially unconscious. We'd call him a doctor. It's good pain when he's doing it, even though it hurts. You see, the situation of the pain changes the purpose of the pain. Now before we go too much into scripture about this, I have to give one really important clarifier. Bad pain, the kind that is caused by people filled with evil intent doing harm to others. Bad pain is never God's plan. God isn't wanting you to be attacked or mugged or raped or experience those hardships so that you can grow. That's not our good and gracious loving father. Bad pain is always bad, no matter what. But our God's really, really good and really, really gracious. And because that bad pain is always bad, our good and gracious God has done something to redeem and restore that bad pain. He's given us his son, Jesus, who suffered and died that we might live. And so if you're going through a lot of bad pain right now, pain caused by evil done against you from someone else, know this, our God has already done everything to make it right, to bring hope and healing and restoration to you. He's already given everything for you. He's not waiting for you to learn the lesson through that pain, which you need right now is the loving arms of a community to say, we are here for you in this pain. We care about you through this problem. You aren't alone. Now the good pain. The good pain has a little bit of a different working in our life. The bad pain 
is, is only overcome through the power of Jesus and the strength of community and his love being poured out. But the good pain, the kind we often try to avoid, is actually something we should embrace. We're going to begin today in the book of James. If you're not familiar with this book, it was written by Jesus' own brother. So he kind of knows a thing or two about Jesus and about life and about faith. And James, he writes this in the very beginning, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Right there, I just have to stop. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus and writing these words? Count it all joy when you suffer. Do any of you like enjoy suffering or pain? If you do, we should probably talk about that. Because most of the time, enjoying pain is a problem. And yet James says, count it joy, my brothers. You see, for James and the apostles in the early church, they saw in, some, in suffering something that many of us today in the West have tried to hide and run from and ignore. What they saw in suffering was an opportunity to become like Jesus, the one who's the suffering servant, the suffering one, the one who's given everything and embraced pain for your sake. They saw that when they also embraced pain, they became like him. I like to think of them like reluctant sufferers. They weren't seeking it. They weren't wanting it. They weren't hoping today is the day I'm going to really suffer. But instead, when it happened, they looked to Jesus, the suffering one who gave everything and said, I can do this because he did. And I find it joyful to do this because I know the outcome. The things to come are better than the way things are right now. Suffering produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, let it have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James, he writes, if we allow suffering and the testing of our faith, trials of various kinds, if we allow them to endure and we allow ourselves to find a place of joy in the midst of that pain, if we live in this place where suffering is not an evil we run from, but at times something we embrace, if this, then you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oftentimes when it comes to faith, we ask the question, God, why would you allow suffering? And we think that all pain is this bad pain, but some of it's not. See, some pain actually shapes us and forms us into a more complete and perfect person. Like what kind of pain might this be? If you're lonely and you're wishing you had deep, meaningful relationships, Perhaps the solution to that is to throw yourself wholly into a relationship. But maybe loneliness wasn't the problem. And you throw yourself into a relationship that is unhealthy because it's better than being alone. And you put up with the unhealthy things. You live with them because you say, well, this, that's fine. At least I have somebody here. And you find yourself in a cycle of broken relationships, 
over and over and over again. Why do I continue to always find that guy, that lady who's terrible for me? Why do I always find that relationship that creates pain and not hope and love? Well, perhaps because the problem is not your loneliness, but a deep-seated insecurity, a lack of self-esteem, a codependency. Perhaps your problem is something deeper than all the people you find just happen to be terrible. Good pain sees the bad pain of these relationships and says, God, what needs to change in order for this to be healed? What needs to be different in me that this might not be my reality forever? See, it's really hard to ask those kinds of questions of God. Because when we stop and realize our loneliness is not just because our relationships are failing, but because there's an insecurity in us that says, I am not enough, we have to face ourselves in the mirror and be honest. That can really, really hurt. Your addiction problem might not be an addiction problem. It might be something deeper. And the addiction is just the the thing you're turning to to hide the pain you're running from. See, when we embrace suffering and trials of various kinds, not the bad pain of evil being done against us, but the good that can create in us a desire for something new, a willingness to look at what's not good and see what could be. This can make us complete. Not that we by ourselves with a self-help book become complete, but God in us begins to work. Jesus himself described this process as pruning as removing the things that need to be removed so that there's room for new growth to happen. My dad, he loves gardening, and so I grew up outside, which as a kid was not always fun because many summer nights or mornings, I would wake up way earlier than a kid desired to wake up in the summer to this beeping sound, beep, 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 and I knew that was the sound of a truck backing up into my driveway. And usually it was a truck filled with mulch, because my dad had found some tree trimming service that had a truck full of mulch or trying to get rid of, and he's like, hey, you can just drop that stuff off at my house, because it wasn't the good quality stuff that you wanted to pay for. It was like the thick, chunky, branches everywhere, terrible mulch. But my dad didn't care. So when I woke up to the sound of the beeping, I knew the moment I got out of bed, my next two days would be spent moving mulch. What a joyful summer. Every summer. But one of the things I learned from my dad is that flowers, especially rose bushes, beautiful flowers, wonderful plants, and they bloom and then they die. And there's this thing you can do where you can actually trim all of the dead flowers. It's called deadheading. You trim all those dead flowers and what that does is it causes the plant to actually begin to regrow new flowers. And so you take a lot of painful work of poking your hand and getting really pricked and really not enjoying it. You do the work to cut all of these dead flowers and there's room for new life. And you can extend the season in which it blooms by quite a bit by just taking the time to cut that which is dead. When we embrace pain as a means of cutting out the things that are dead and removing what's not filling us with life, we're able to find new life. 
goes on in verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. See, if you're not sure what's causing your pain, you don't know where it's stemming from, you don't know why it's there, you don't know if it's good or bad, is it because of other people's sin or is it my own, you're not really sure what to do with your trials, ask God and he will give you wisdom to know. Here's what you do with this pain. Here's why it's here. And here's what I have done about it. We're gonna look at Romans chapter five. In Romans, Paul is writing this letter describing the basics of our faith, the foundation of what we believe. And in this letter, he's outlining all of what God has done for us. And in chapter five, he begins with this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a fancy church word, so I'll simplify it. Therefore, since we've been made right with God by faith, we have peace. Since all of our mess and all of our brokenness is now made right, we have peace. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in our sufferings, When was the last time you could say that, honestly? God, I'm really thankful for this pain that I'm walking through, this hurt that I'm feeling. I really want to find great joy in this. Every year I go with a group of guys and we we go out into the mountains and we hike for about a week. I'm actually leaving later today for this hike, so uh, later today I'll be doing six miles and then another 46 the rest of the week. And I'll tell you what, I have only trained three times. I am fully equipped for this long hike in no way whatsoever. And every year I tell myself I'm gonna train and I'm gonna get better. And then every year I realize the hike is coming and I haven't trained yet. And this year I decided I wanted to train specifically because I don't wanna hike in hiking shoes. They make my feet gross. I'm gonna hike in sandals. So I did all the research. What are the best sandals out there to hike in? So I'm gonna try it. We'll see how it works. I'm guessing it's gonna create a lot of pain. Just prob, just, I'm guessing but we'll see what happens. But what I love about this hike is day one is a lot of fun. I've got a lot of energy. I'm fresh. I'm like, let's do this. And then I wake up on day two and I'm a little tired and worn out. And I get up and we we go for 10 or 11 miles and it's good. It's fun. It's fine. And then I get up on the next day and nothing in me wants to get out of bed. And I'm sore and I'm tired and I'm slow, really slow. And as the week goes on, What happens is the hike becomes easier. And every time we hike, we meet guys or ladies who are through hiking the entire Appalachian Trail. And so most of the time, by the time we meet them, they've already put on like 1,900 miles, which is a crazy amount to hike. And so these guys are fit. They're doing 20 miles a day. They're ready. They could do anything. Like they could hike through a hurricane. And I'm just trugging along. And what 
always cracks me up is every single time we do this and we meet one of these through hikers, they always stop and they ask some questions like, oh, where are you hiking from? How long are you hiking? And inevitably, they always find out that we're just hiking one week long. And they look at us like we're idiots. You see, because when you hike for a week, at the end of the week, you almost get to the point of it being really natural. And then we stop and go back to our daily lives and come back a year later completely unprepared and try it again. Last year, as we were doing this, one of the through hikers who was, uh, I think slingshotting is the term, where you go up and back in one year. So 4,400 miles in one year. Absolutely nuts. All right, so we're, I met this guy, and he was like, you guys just do one week every year? That's literally the worst week of the trail every single time you come out here. Why? Because we can't get away for two weeks. I don't know. But one of the things that's so incredible about that hike is even as I'm hurting and I'm sore, there's great beauty all around. Even as I don't want to take that next step, there's something really wonderful to find just around the corner. That's why I'm dumb enough to go back year after year. Maybe eventually I'll start training, I don't know. We'll see. Rejoice in our sufferings. Because suffering produces endurance. The more you're able to say, this is my reality, this is my pain, this is my life, I know where I am right now. The more you're able to look ahead to where you want to be. This is where I am, but it's not where I'm going. There's something beautiful just around the corner for me to find. Let me press on, keep going. I'll get there eventually. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, we are able to see pain as not exclusively always a bad thing, but sometimes a thing to produce growth because we have hope in us that our loving Father won't ever give us pain, that he's not trying to take us through. He will never allow us to experience good pain, growth pain, without trying to move us to a better place than we were before. It goes on in verse 5, sorry, verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. You see, our hope, our ability to endure all suffering, to rejoice in our suffering, to celebrate our pain, is because while we were still broken and weak and completely incapable of doing anything, Christ died for us. Not only did his death free us from the chains of that bad suffering, that bad pain, not only did his death give us the promise of victory that the bad stuff doesn't win, his death enables us to live today and tomorrow and every day with a hope that God is not finished yet. God isn't done with the work that he began. So if you're ready to quit and you're worn out and you're tired, hang in. He's not done yet. The last thing I want us to look at is 1 Peter chapter 4. He'll put it up here on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 4. I said we're in a war in this world. We are at arms with the world around us that wants to do evil to us. And this verse I find really encouraging. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. 
For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Since therefore Christ has suffered, arm yourselves in the flesh. See, if we want to engage in battle in this world around us, we find anxiety and depression to be crippling, and we want to say no more. We find ourselves failing at our jobs because we overwork and underperform. We find our relationships falling apart because when we're stressed, we turn to binge eating or binge watching or any number of other problems. Look, if we find ourselves broken, suffering and hurting, arm ourselves with the same mindset of Christ. God doesn't call us to sit passively and just let this life happen. He doesn't call us to sit back and hope eventually it will get better. He's actively given us a way to stand today, no matter our pain, no matter our struggle, no matter the things that come against us, and fight back, to arm ourselves with the same mindset of Christ. He goes on, he says this, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, but no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. See, when we arm ourselves to have the mind of Christ, we're able to live this life not for the things that cause us hurt and pain and suffering, but for the will of God. God, what is it you want to do in me right now? What is it you want to do through me today? God, where do you want me to go tomorrow? So how do we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ? How do we learn to rejoice in sufferings and find an opportunity for growth and pain? First, we need the mindset of Christ to be humble. See, it's really easy when we're going through hardships to find somebody else to blame. You don't get the promotion you want at work, that's because your boss is a terrible person. You don't get the job you're looking for or you don't get accepted to the school you're hoping for. That's their problem. You're the victim. Look at what they have done to you. As I started out, there is a time when we are victims, but this is not the time I'm talking about. You see, it's so easy in our culture to blame others. In our pride, we say, I surely couldn't be the one to blame for my marriage falling apart. It must be their fault. My spouse changed. They're too controlling. They nag me too much. They're too lazy, right? We find all the reasons it's their fault. But yet if we were to be honest and stop and look, there's a pattern every time. And the one consistent thing is I'm involved or you're involved in that pattern. Maybe if we begin with the humility to say, I am kind of broken and I'm not perfect, And sure, the other person in the relationship may have caused things that made this relationship worse. But maybe my response only fueled the fire. I could have responded differently. I could have acted differently. I could have thought differently. I could have spoken differently. And maybe if I changed myself, my future relationships would be better. If we want to arm ourselves with this mind of Christ, we begin with humility. God, I am broken and not enough. But then after that, we have to turn to Christ and say, Jesus, I actually need you here to help me. 
And you want to know the voice of the Holy Spirit? We were talking about that last week. How do I know what the Holy Spirit sounds like? Well, most of the time, the Holy Spirit sounds like my wife. Real practically, somebody I know and I love and I trust speaking wisdom into my life. That when the things I'm doing in my brokenness are harmful and not good, when it's my attitude that's the problem, not everybody else's, her calm and gentle, loving voice saying, Adam, stop it. Like, don't you see what you're doing? So often helps me to see what God is saying. If we want to have the mind of Christ, we need to be humble, but then we need to be surrounded by people who are willing to speak into those painful things. We don't need people who will say, everything's perfect, it's their fault, you're okay. We need people who will empathize with our pain and say, I'm sorry, this is where you are. Let me show you things I'm seeing as an outsider to help you grow. And if we're humble, we're able to hear that voice not as a persistent nag, not as an obnoxious voice, not as somebody who hates us, but as somebody who really cares. Says, I want something better for you. It's the same reason my kids could perhaps think that I'm nagging when I tell them not to play in certain areas or not to do certain things, right? They're really annoyed. Why do I set these boundaries around them and say, this is good for you? Well, it's because when they trip and fall or they fall off the wall or the tree limb breaks and they get hurt, who's the one who comes running? Me. Sometimes Laura. Depends on who's holding Ezra at the time, right? These boundaries are to help them grow, not to hold them back. And if we don't have people in our life who are willing to speak the hard truth that says you're not overweight because of their problem, you're overweight because you lack self-control, let me help you find that. If we don't have these people to call us out and help us, we're never going to have the mind of Christ. See, Jesus, he didn't do the work that he was doing by himself. No, as he was in pain in the garden, preparing to die, suffering so much that he was sweating blood, he cried out, help me, Father, take this from me. Not my will, yours be done. And there's this remarkable thing that happens. God actually sends angels to him to strengthen him, and then his suffering increases. See, God doesn't take away that pain, but he helps him endure it for the sake of the cross. Same thing for you. You need to be humble to have the mind of Christ. You need the help of others. And then you need to ask for advice. You cannot fix your pain on your own. And it's not just the help of others who will say, hey, trust me, I'm seeing a problem. You need to actually turn to people and ask, please help me to know, what do I do next? How do I grow through this? I recently heard this and I really love it. Don't accept criticism from people you wouldn't turn to for advice. See, there's a lot of voices in this world that want to tell you and me just how wrong and broken and messed up we are. There's a lot of voices that want to point out just how much we fail. But if they're not the same voices that are pointing out who you are in Christ, if they're not the same voices that are pointing out what God has done for you, if they're not the same voices who've succeeded in a way that you have not yet, 
their voice isn't helpful. So don't just seek help. Don't just ask for help. Ask it of the right people. People who love you and people who will love you no matter what. But then after that comes the hard work. You see, growth doesn't just happen when we acknowledge our pain. Then there's a process of grieving that we have to go through. And we're really good as a society about grieving some things. When somebody dies, we take time to remember and we have a funeral. But even then, we limit our funeral celebrations to one or two moments or days. Do you know there was a time when the culture would celebrate and remember and mourn for 30 days or longer? They would take a season of grief because grief requires a time to process and to experience and to heal. If you are discovering pain about your life, things that aren't good, that are maybe your fault, things about you that maybe need to change and grow, things where you want something different and it hurts, the hard work to get there, it's tough. But you can get there. Like imagine if you go to the gym today for the first time ever. Are you going to be the strongest person in that gym? No. Our world recognizes this. This is why in the 80s they came out with a saying, no pain, no gain, right? You want to get better, you got to work hard. You're going you're gonna to sweat, you're going to bleed, you're going to hurt, you're going to be miserable, but eventually you'll get stronger and things will get better. The work of healing what is broken takes time and it hurts. And we can only do it in the context of knowing that we are loved by others and loved by God And it's okay to be broken. And it's okay to walk through that pain. Say, Jesus, I don't know what healing looks like. And I'm going to grieve the thing that I've lost. Whether it's the job or the the respect of others or it's the position or, or whatever it is you've lost. Maybe it's even you've lost your own sense of self worth. It's okay to grieve that. To admit that you're hurting and confess that pain and say, Jesus, I need your help through this. And when we do this and we have this attitude of Christ that rejoices in suffering and we arm ourselves with humility and the ability to seek help, we can find that through that pain we grow significantly. Consider the doctor there on the table. Yes, they have to cut you open. And yes, when you wake up, it won't be pleasant. And there will be a season where you can't do the things you wanted to do. But hopefully, if everything was done correctly by the end, you'll be healthier and better than you were before. Able to do more than you ever thought you could do. Because of the healing that pain brought. What healing are you in need of and what pain have you been avoiding? Look to Jesus and find that today. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your son. God, that we can arm ourselves with his mindset. One that rejoices in suffering and says, not my will, but yours be done. One that sought you daily. One that was humble enough to lay down his life. God, may we be humble enough to not be the victim. To not blame others for our pain. May we be humble enough to ask for help. God, to recognize our pain and grieve when we're hurting. 
God, may we grieve the little things and the big things. And may we be willing to walk through pain that's good. Like deadheading roses. May we see beauty on the other side. And God, I pray for that pain that's bad, that suffering we've experienced at the hands of another. Would you surround us with your loving arms? Show us just how far you have gone to make it right, to bring healing and hope that you would give your son for for us. And God, I pray that we would be a people who grow in each and every way by your power and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just under three years ago, I had the opportunity to get to know a few people that have become really dear friends. Uh, My wife and I heard on the radio about the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking and we reached out and said, we want to have coffee and learn what do you do and how can we get involved? And it started really small. If you ever need anything, we'd love to help. Let us know. And over the last couple years, it's grown significantly. And I was given permission to share with you something uh, from them. So I'm going to share this with you and ask for your prayer. Uh, For those of you who've been around here for a while, you know that the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking fights human trafficking, seeks to end this injustice by bringing direct service and hope and healing to the the men and women, the, the adults and the children who have experienced this pain and this suffering. And as a community, as an organization, they experienced a new kind of pain this week that they've never experienced before. See, on Friday, well, Thursday night, one of their clients was murdered. The world that they are working in, the people that they are serving, live in a lot of pain and in some pretty dangerous situations. And now the staff are trying to figure out how do we grieve and what can we do next time to protect our clients differently? Is there anything we can do differently? And so on Friday, they reached out to me and said, we're really hurting, will you pray for us? And they've asked if you guys would join in praying for their staff as they figure out what to do to love and serve and honor even this woman who has died and what to do next time. Yesterday, a handful of us had the opportunity to serve at the coalition, to go and and finish a retaining wall we started a while back to finish some flowers we planned on planting a while ago. And as we were doing this, as we were cleaning up after most people left, the director of the coalition said, Adam, I really appreciate you guys being here. See, it's been a super tough and dark week, but you guys help us find hope. Thank you. Everything we do as a church is for the sake of our community, and so everything we do here is not just so we can have a fun gathering, but so we can go out of this place in our lives, your life and my life, and in the lives of others, and we can serve and love and make a difference for those who are hurting and need hope. We are going to collect an offering at this time. And the reason we collect an offering is not because we want more of your money. I don't care. God is faithful and he'll provide. But we collect an offering in this place because we believe God invites us to make a difference at places like the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking. To say, we want to trust you with our finances, we want to serve with our giving, and through this giving, we want to impact the world around us that others know the hope we have in Jesus. If you're someone who prefers to give with cash or check, uh, 
During this COVID season, we're not passing the popcorn buckets. Those are still in the back corners. Uh, You can drop off a gift in that bucket uh, on your way out. And if you're somebody who prefers to give electronically, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little blue button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Real quick, before we get to this last part of the service, a big shout out to Johan, my buddy, uh, Johan Weaver, if you don't know him. He is worth knowing. Uh, He's watching on live stream from Cincinnati Children's Hospital right now. So we're praying for you, Johan, and we love you and look forward to you being back here with us soon. So with that, uh, this is a part of the service where we believe questions are a healthy part of faith. So Emily's going to ask a couple of your questions of me. Okay, full disclosure. I just had to log in one more time. Whoops. But um, I feel pretty confident. Okay. We have five questions this morning. I'll be quick. A couple of them were from last week that didn't come in in time. So Cool. First one, softball. Um, Not about softball. The question is softball. Do the pipe organs work, and does anyone know how to play them? Uh, I don't know if anybody knows how to play them. I called the organ tuner to ask if we could just have him come check it out, and he said that last time he tuned them five years ago, they worked, but the problem is he told me four places where the key to that little thing right there is hidden, and it's not there. So I called the locksmith, and he doesn't know how to get into that lock. So if you happen to have a universal skeleton key, or you know what you're doing with them, we're trying to figure it out so we can know if it works. And if you know how to play them, go for it. (laughs) Um, Second question, does the point have a political affiliation? Uh, We have a denominational affiliation. We belong to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, We don't have a political affiliation in that we're not red and we're not blue because Jesus is neither. Uh, If you're curious to know more where we stand on politics and what we believe, starting October 4th, we're going to be doing a series called What Does the Bible Say About Politics? And we're going to be talking about the tough things coming up this year that are on people's minds. What does it say? And I think whether you're red or blue, you'll be surprised. It probably doesn't say what you think it does. (laughs) All right. Um, If bad pain is never part of God's plan, then how is God in control of all things? If he's in control, then doesn't that make everything planned? Hmm, That's great. Uh, That's good. Uh, I should have known this was coming. I gave you the one softball. Yeah, thank you. I know nothing about softball, so thank you. Um, God's plan from the beginning was that we would live without the pain of suffering and the hardship that comes from evil being done against us. That's the way we were created. And when we, Adam and Eve, mankind, when they entered into sin, which is choosing to be like God instead of being like man, when they desired to be like God, what they found was they weren't created to be that way. And that created a lot of pain and suffering that we still are dealing with the consequences of. Um, But even then, right away before God ever removed them from the garden, if you go back and read in Genesis 3, before any of the curse of sin came down, he gave the promise to them that one of the descendants of Eve would crush the head of the serpent who deceived them. This promise of Jesus, one who would come, a man born in flesh to redeem all suffering and restore it all to the way it's supposed to be. So is God in control if something happens he didn't want to have? Oh, that's like, can God create a rock so big even he can't move it? 
I mean, that's kind of an impossible question. But I will say, from the beginning, God always had a plan for how to redeem and restore your suffering. So while God's not wanting you to get cancer, not wanting you to experience uh, horrific attacks and abuse or any of that stuff, he is telling you what he's done about it. He's given everything to make it right. This might be a fun one to go into Point Leftovers after you've had a week of, you know, <laughs> contemplating yeah. uh, in, the, in the mountains. All right, two more questions. Do we really have guardian angels assigned to each of us as suggested in Matthew 18.10? I have Matthew 18.10 pulled up if that would be, if that would be helpful. Yes, okay, go for it. Cool. Unless I have to log in again. Okay, here we go. <laughs> See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So this is their angels. I'm going to go with, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of different thoughts out there about what angels are and are not and how they relate with us, and I don't know. But what I will say is when we die, we don't become angels. In fact, the Bible has promised that when we die, there's a hope of the resurrection, and we will actually be greater than angels because we're sons of the king, daughters of the king, not angels. So I don't know if we each have our own guarding us. I don't know how that works, but I do know it's better that we will never become angels. So. Um, thank you for all these questions. These are great questions. These are um, this is the last one. What about chronic pain? Is there a way to rejoice in it when it is so exhausting to continue to endure? I'm going to pick this one up in a point leftovers, not this week, but the following when I'm back. My short answer is there is a way to rejoice in chronic pain. And chronic pain falls in that gray category. It's, it's not the bad pain of evil done against you. It's just the bad pain of living in a broken and fallen world. And so I'll pick it up more later and say, if you're living in chronic pain, that's certainly worth seeking ways to ease that pain that are legal and ethical. I'll throw that out there as a qualifier. Um, but if there's nothing you can do to ease that pain, there's most certainly a way God can help you rejoice in the midst of it. And I'll pick that up in a week with Point Leftovers. We'll do a little video we'll put online and uh, on social media. And uh, hopefully that'll help address it a little more in depth. Was that all of them? That, that was all the questions this week. You guys picked the tough ones. Thank you. Uh, I always appreciate it. Uh, if you have other questions that you didn't text in or that didn't get addressed, please text them in. We'll respond uh, either next Sunday or during the week at another time. Before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.